The following audio drama is rated PG-13 for parental guidance. Hello, friends. This is Dane Miller, executive producer, writer, and game master of No Quest for the Wicked, a sci-fi space opera actual play podcast currently using Paizo's Starfinder system. We are a homebrewed adventure using a completely original campaign setting. This is episode five of our first campaign. The crew of the Maverick have crash-landed on a dense forest planet known as Goa after narrowly escaping a terrorist attack which they are now being framed for. We hope you enjoy. Thank you for listening. Initializing recap. You guys have successfully taken two stalwart blade daggers. And the other thing you notice is a familiar face standing on the edge of the bridge. It's Azen. Oh, God. And you see Azen drop down on top of the tank and hear him yell, Merrick, give it to me. And he holds out a hand that is roiling and dripping in silver liquid. Durin, you get a call. It's Thimble again. They've locked down your ship. I'm sure you guessed that. I can give you a window. I can give you 30 seconds. The administration, whoever the representative was, I've never seen them before, was very, very interested in this silver liquid and they demanded that I hand it over. And you guys make it to the Maverick. Victor puts in his code, the force field drops for a second and he gets in and he's like, Quip, Query, Satir. Captain gets a call from Query. Victor, darling, you're not going to like this. And she reaches up and there is like an army of stalwart blades. We're not going to make it. Down the corridor, you see the blades all of them have their guns drawn. Azen walks through the crowd towards the Maverick. From the other side of the barrier, Victor Benson looks at you and he says, Go. Clear our name, get our people. And before any of you say anything, this isn't being a hero, this is being a captain. And he drops the kunai into his hand, and as he charges forward towards Azen, the Maverick launches forward. And at that time, Dern, you hit the button that switches over into the drift drive, and it happens. Yeah, you enter the drift. At least most of the Maverick. <laughs> oh, no! And the last thing you remember seeing is the ground of the planet Goa. Recap complete. Hello, and welcome to No Quest for the Wicked. Boys, I have a question for you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what you got, bud? <laughs> Are you ready to rock? Yeah. Now, do we need a full ship to rock? Um, I hope not, because you don't. Yeah, that's... <laughs> More importantly, are you ready to roll? Always. Yeah, yeah. Are we alive enough to roll? Um, well, it's funny, because... Um, we did some market testing. It turns out your guys' characters weren't great. The, the 18 to 35 demographic didn't love them. Mm-hmm. So we, I, I had to, you know, appealing to our producer overlords, uh, I did have to kill you guys off. So we will be rolling new characters. No. Um, what I do need you guys to do is roll me a flat check. Because where we left off, <laughs> um, you guys were plummeting towards the ground of the planet Goa after narrowly escaping 
the stalwart blades of the cube. Uh, pick pick silver or blue, Dane. Um, blue is my favorite color, so that. Okay. All right. Um, yeah. So I just need a, a flat D20 check, please. I'm going to start us off the right way with a natural 20. Ooh. Ooh. Hell yeah. Pow, pow. Uh, I 14, got 14. Oh. Uh oh. <laughs> okay, so you guys are in simpatico. That's good. Not yeah. only did we say it at the same time, we got the same thing and then responded the same. That was beautiful. Um, are they Siamese twins now? Is that how this works? Yep, you guys have in the drift because during you fucked up, you've now melded with Cody or one person. <laughs> I have um, memories again. Yay. I'm going to need you guys to, to roll off again, please. Really? Yeah. Goddamn. Actually, actually, you know what? No, no, it's fine. The, well, the two of you rolling the same thing. Ignore that roll. It's fine. I got um, another 14, so. <laughs> Perfect. Merrick, you feel the sweltering hot sun of the planet of Usuron. A small, dusty frontier town as a red and purple tumbleweed bounces past made of briars. You stand in front of the only watering hole in this town called Dusty's Refresher. This is the first couple months of your tempering. Can you tell me a little bit about what a tempering is? Yeah, for the Kasathas, the tempering is, uh, they, they, as adults, they live a nomadic tribe life where they're one big unit built on culture and history and they travel together and, uh, there's a lot of culture to it, and you don't leave the tribe. Everything's for the tribe. So right when Kasasas um, mature, they are sent on a tempering, which is usually about a year, uh, I believe. And they're able to go and explore the world and cultures and, and learn and be on their own before they sort of settle into that life of serving the tribe. Perfect. Yes. So this is this is probably like month two or maybe the end of your first month. You are very, very fresh on the tempering journey and you have uh, visited Yusaron, which is a mining planet within the Casamal system. And you are standing in front of uh, the bar, Dussie's Refresher. And it is essentially just a giant camper on cinder blocks and a, a crude wooden sign that has been painted with the with the name Dusty's Refresher. I approach the door of the of the camper. The the sun here is so hot and you're used to the desert. You know, it, as a Kasatha, it is it is kind of your natural climate, but it is hot here and the the metal handle of the door almost burns your hand, so you've got to you got to grab it and like open it real quick and there is a gush of cold air as the air conditioning from the inside gets pushed out and you enter into a very bare bones bar. Um, the outside appearance is mimicked inside. It is this big rounded uh, tin can essentially of a bar with a small bare bones wooden bar in the, in the back corner. And uh, there's a jukebox in the other corner and too many tables for a bar of this size. It, you could imagine that if it was full, it would be almost impossible to get through. And there is a bartender and an old man uh, sitting at the bar. Um, as a descriptor for how Merrick looks early on in his tempering, like the current Merrick loves bright colors for his robes and tries to show off a little bit of his own style. But this early on, he's wearing like tr- traditional 
the, you know, like a white sand color sort of blending in with the environment around him. No sign of personality or uniqueness on him yet as he sort of timidly walks up to the bar. Perfect. Um, the old man parks up as the song ends on the jukebox and he, with much difficulty, shoves himself off his bar seat and begins shuffling towards it. And the bartender's like, oh, God, Jimmy, Jimmy, please. I can't do it. I can't listen to that song again. Please, I beg you, Jamie, please do not put that song on. It doesn't matter how many times you play it. Deborah ain't coming back, man, please. And Jimmy reaches the jukebox and with uh, a face that reveals a, a lifetime of spending his hours and days in the mines uh, and also a, a life of drinking heavily after those shifts in the mine. He's got a big red bulbous nose and this long uh, yellowed mustache. He just shoots like this horrible look that could kill uh, the bartender as he deftly with practice fingers punches in the, the code for the song. And the same old tinny song begins playing as he shuffles back. And the bartender's like, oh, God, Jimmy, please. <laughs> and the bartender is this portly man who is missing his legs from just above the knee. And he's sitting in this uh, motorized chair that is being suspended from the ceiling. And there's like a magnetic brick that attaches to the top. And you can tell that's kind of how he gets around as he zips back and forth on this metal chair that can like move up and down and side to side. And he sees you come in and he's like, uh, greetings, traveler. It's, it's good to see you. Come on, come on in, have a seat. Uh, thank you so much. I would love to take a seat. What can I get for you? We don't get a whole lot of a lot of travelers in this part. It's it's just us mining folk usually. Uh, I was sent to see as much as I could, and it was recommended I start in the more rural areas to get used to speaking to uh, speaking common and to speaking to strangers. Okay, I thought you were going to say something real rude there, sir. But but I, I appreciate it. Well, I gotta say you could have picked a a damn better city than this. I mean. Uh, not city, town, town, ramshackle mm. backwater hole, I guess would be a better way to describe our, our fine, our fine settlement here. But look, we're happy to have you. Uh, first rounds on me. How about that? I would greatly appreciate it. Please pour me uh, whatever that gentleman, I, I point to Jimmy, uh, drinks, please. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, good choice. Good choice. And he goes to the only tap that they have on beer uh, <laughs> or only beer that they have on tap. And uh, he pours you a pint. And it, to his credit, the, the mug like almost automatically frosts. It's a cold fucking beer. And he puts it down in front of you and he says, it's always good to see a familiar or a friendly face, especially a new face. We, we get to see a lot of the same over and over again. And usually a lot of the faces look like old Jimmy over there. And he... He laughs a little bit, and Jimmy again just like glares at him. Um, and when and Jimmy sees you, and he and he raises his glass over to you uh, to cheers you. I uh, raise it back, uh, and then Jimmy just fucking downs his, and uh, and Dusty begins pouring a another another pint. He says, "Well, as you might have guessed, my name's Dusty. I'm the fine proprietor of this here uh, establishment. Uh, other than you know, do you have any questions about?" About anything? About, about uh, you know, Usuron or, or anything like that? Of, of, of course. I don't, I don't want to be rude in asking this question. 
but I sort of have to speak what's on my mind, Dusty. It's, the, um, it's my legs? Are you going to ask about the legs? Oh, no, no, no. Your legs. I, I, I enjoy uh, your setup. What, why do why do you all live here still? Uh, well, there, there's credits to be made. I mean, we're sitting on a veritable gold mine above here. I mean, literally not gold. It's it's Iberium, but it's as it's good as gold. Hell, it probably is worth more. So, you know, if you can swing an axe, you can you can make a, a decent living. So that's that's why people come. It's, you know, why does anyone live anywhere? It's, you know, credits in the pocket. I guess so. My, my people are used to a climate uh, just like this, but we didn't have an, a choice. I've heard stories about where your people came from, and I've heard stories about this cube uh, where most of them are now, um, and I've heard nothing but beautiful things and luscious fields on your planet before everything went south and th- th- how the cube is growing and becoming this hub for society. I just... I'm curious why you would choose a planet unknown just for a couple of credits. Well, I mean, we all make our choices, and and my family uh, wanted to wanted to make a little bit of extra scratch. There's a lot of competition out on the cube, and and it and it's difficult to to forge a life there. And while you know a friendly face is nice, and and, and having a little bit of sense of community is good, uh, everyone came here hoping to to strike it rich and. Uh, you know, it, it's tough to leave a dream behind. That is a mighty fine answer, Dusty. Thank you. As you sit there and, and chat with Dusty, um, the bell of the door dings as someone else enters. And they sit at the opposite end of the bar to you. And it is a man dressed in this tattered light gray cloak um, with a hood pulled up over his head and he sits down and the second he does uh dusty goes over and grabs one of the the bottle of uh alcohol off the shelf pours a shot uh puts it in front of him and then pours two more and puts it on the like a little bit further away from him and uh puts the bottle back is he a regular dusty oh this gentleman yeah i mean i guess he he came in not not too long uh, before you did, but he's been here for about a week or so. He's he's consistent, if not anything. Ain't that right, sir? And the figure just kind of grabs one of the shots and, and shoots it back, uh, slides it forward, and pulls the other shot, one of the other shots uh, forward as well. Uh, but doesn't say anything. J- J- Jimmy was your name? Um, the old man looks over to you, and he's uh, very drunk, but he says, That's right. Uh, this the song you, you played. It's a beautiful song, sir. You can see tears welling up in his eyes, and he shuffles one sheet seat closer to you, and he says, "Would you like to hear the story of how I met Deborah?" And you hear Jimmy go, "Oh God, Jimmy, please." Jimmy, I would quite enjoy hearing the story of how you met Deborah. And Jimmy orders two more beers on his tab for you and him. And he begins telling you this long rambling story about how he met his wife, Deborah. And it's mostly incoherent nine times out of 10. You have no idea what the fuck he's talking about or like who half the people he's talking about are. Um, But you get the sense that like, this is a woman that he loved dearly uh, who left him and he has no idea where she went or why she left. And he's convinced that, the way to bring her back is for her to hear this song, which was their song. 
Um, and as he's telling you this story, the night progresses and you have a couple more drinks and the bar fills up as the mines uh, let out for the day. And you were, you were right. It's, it's packed. And it's, if it wasn't for Dusty's uh, chair, he wouldn't be able to get out or through to serve any of these tables. But thankfully he is able to sort of like glide above and it's, it's a great setup for him. And you and Jimmy kind of just talk the whole night. But throughout the night, you you get the sense that the man in the cloak is watching you. And he's not subtle about it. Like there are times where, you know, when you kind of like look over and you catch someone's eye and they look away. He doesn't mm-hmm. do that. He maintains eye contact with you and will often down one of his shots and slides it forward and pulls up. And there's always two shots waiting. As soon as he finishes the two in front of him, Dusty lines up two more. And it's just a rotation of of these shots that he does in sort of like a, almost on clockwork. And as the night sort of finishes off, your conversation with Jimmy ends when he he never really reaches the end of his story, but he reaches the end of his constitution and he's passed out on the bar. And it's once again, just you, Jimmy and the man in the cloak. I um, walk up to the man in the cloak. Excuse me, friend. Um, I've noticed that you and I were the first ones here and the last ones out. I did happen to notice you looking in my direction, and that is more than fine. I clearly was the only person from Kasatha here this evening. So if you have any questions about my people, as most do, I am more than happy to answer them. I don't have any questions, friend. Perhaps you have questions for me. And he takes down his hood. Um, and Dusty comes over and he's like, gentlemen, I, I gotta say, we've done last call. I, I will need you, you fellers, to uh, to skedaddle. And the cloaked figure reaches into his pocket and puts a cred stick on the table and looks at Dusty and says, we'll do one more. And Dusty, well, I must insist, sir, this, uh, this establishment here is closed. And the cloaked man presses the button on the side of the cred stick to reveal the the amount. And it's 10,000 credits. And Dusty looks down and he's like, well, you know what, fellas? I can pour you one more. Not a problem. Not a problem at all. And he takes it, puts it in his pocket and pours, goes to like pour you guys beer. And the figure says, no, we'll take, we'll take the 21 year, please. And Dusty stops and he turns and he goes for a bottle lines up two shots and the figure once again interrupts him and says we'll take the bottle and dusty looks at it for a second looks at the cred stick and shrugs and just puts the bottle with two glasses in front of you and begins just cleaning so you've been here for a week you seem to be quite wealthy or at least don't mind spending the money that you do have are you a miner? No, probably not. How would you have that much money in such a short amount of time? A lot of people who've lived here seem to be here out of some wild deem or desperate dream or desperation. I don't see either of that in you. But am I wrong? Incredibly wrong, friend. You know what? I think this is a great time to introduce ourselves. My name is Azen, and he holds out a hand. Uh, mine is Merrick. So kindly to meet you. And I take his hand and shake. And when you do, you notice that there is a soft blue light that travels under his skin that kind of reveals his bones and circulatory system. And it's a brief, 
it's a brief flash and it kind of like starts at his wrist and, and ends at his fingertip and then goes away. Uh, give me an insight check, please. What do I roll for insight? Oh, right. That's that's D&D, isn't it? Yes, um, it is. <laughs> uh, roll uh, me sense a motive? sense motive, please. Yes. Uh, that will just be a 10. Yeah, you you notice this, this light um, and he doesn't seem to shy away from it. And now that you get a look at him, He's a fairly well-kept man. He has uh, dirty blonde hair that's pulled back into a neat, small, tight top bun. Uh, he has a very well-groomed uh, beard of about medium length. Um, but he has these sort of like hollow, almost gray eyes. And now that you're looking sort of at him as as a full, complete person, um, you'll see that blue light every now and then. It'll travel almost randomly every now and then like come up and creep up the back of him. It'll like run across his face. Uh, and it just kind of like appears here and there. And what's your name? Sorry. I, I didn't quite catch it. Oh, uh, Merrick. Merrick. Yes. How goes your tempering? Oh, you could tell I look that young. Do I? Well, I imagine it would be, Pretty much the only reason someone such as yourself would visit a place like this. Not by my choosing. I was asking for recommendations as where I should start my trip, and my eldest brother recommended here. I believe he, uh, what was the term, uh, pulled my leg. Yes, I do believe your brother has led you astray, which is fine. Every now and then the wrong direction can put you in the right place. I believe that to be correct. I'm enjoying my time. I'm learning quite a bit. It is a little bit sad to go from one desert to another, but I will have more than enough time to see everything else before my tempering ends. That's an excellent attitude to have. How would you like to go for a walk? I would like that very much. Uh, This climate is much better when the sun goes down. That it is. And he picks up the bottle and the two glasses and he uh, pours you each a, a fairly generous amount of the liquor and uh, walks outside. I follow. I thank Dusty. Oh, and anytime, fellas. Have a great night. Be safe. And I follow. And uh, yeah, you, you guys walk outside and he leads you towards uh, one of the big quarries where the mining operation takes place. And he, he stands outside this like chain link fence and he points down into it and he says, how much do you know of, of Usuron, of its story, of its fate, of its riches? And not much that it was a mining planet that a lot of humans came here to try to make something of themselves, which is an idea that very much came from their people. Um, that for some reason you could go somewhere else and make your life better. I don't know much about this place, the history, no. Usuron wasn't always this dry, hot planet. In fact, it was brought back from the verge of death itself. Before it became known as the planet of buried fortune, it was just a regular old planet. It wasn't until they discovered the Iberium, the mineral that they so desperately mine out, that it's it was just a regular old planet. And people lived regular old lives, but you know, it took was one day someone hit gold 
or Iberium, and they realized what a valuable resource it was. It was malleable, durable, strong when worked like steel. It was almost invaluable when it came to construction, uh, starships, and weapons. And this is the first time you've noticed that he is armed. He has a pistol holster on his uh, leg, and he has a small sheath on his back, horizontal at the small of his back, and he playfully taps the the handle of the sword, and he says, Iberium is a unique metal. Once it oxidizes, as soon as it hits atmosphere, it becomes incredibly toxic to those around it. When it's buried in the earth, it's safe. It's... uh, dormant and only until you discover its value do you also discover its dangers and the people of Usaron learned these dangers but do you think they stopped Merrick of course they did not and what do you think that is the one thing that is universal throughout most of the races of the known universe as in is greed it has started and ended civilizations it will continue to do so It is what makes us all unique, but it is what makes us all weak. Many people think that with wealth comes freedom. That if you could afford things, luxuries, escape a way out, that you are free. But wealth does not make you rich. It oftentimes makes you a fool. So as they continued to dig and mine, all they did was poison their planet. The toxins seeking into the soil, the water. They killed themselves for the chance to be rich. And when they were on the verge of death, when the soil could not grow crops, when the water could not sustain life, they were saved. And he points out into the field, and there is a massive white spire just in the ground and he says do you have any idea what those are Merrick? Based on the line of conversation I would assume a filtration unit, something that provides clean air He looks very impressed with you a rather astute observation but yes Merrick, that's what they are. Out of nowhere these spires or as they call them around here, the spikes were driven into the planet, rained down from the heavens and pierced the earth and absorbs the toxins in the ground discovered by the Iberium and poof, into the atmosphere, harmless, completely neutralizing the dangers of Iberium, allowing them to continue to mine safely and continue to reap the rewards Do you think it bought them freedom, Merrick? No. Freedom would have been giving up on this hopeless dream and leaving. But whatever put those spikes in the ground kept them locked here as prisoners. What do you think would be a greater mercy? The spikes being delivered? Or letting the planet die? That is a complex question, Asin. And the easy answer... I don't think there is an easy answer, actually. The spikes in the short term, saved lives. It saved individuals, it saved families, it saved those who were here, especially those who were here not by their own choosing, but by those of family and heads of family. But 
letting the planet die, ridding the people of this necessity, of this prison, letting this material that takes life just to be useful, just to be a little bit better than what we already had, taking morality out of it, letting the planet die. Letting the planet die. And Azen silently reflects on your answer, and he looks down into the the shaft or the, the quarry, and he puts his hand on his shoulder. He fills your glass once again, and you notice that one of the mine shafts has now lit up, and you can hear in the distance the pulsing of music. And Azen looks at you and he says, Merrick, do you party? I, I would like to learn how to party. Well then, tonight, Merrick, we party. And he pulls back the chain link fence that has already been snipped at the corners. And he point, like allows you to enter. And he follows in behind you. And you guys descend into the mine and enter this mine shaft, which has been uh, co-opted by some of the younger miners. And there is like a DJ playing and there's lights and there's dancing. And it's just this absolute, it's pretty much a mine rave and people are going crazy. And as in kind of, you, you lose him for a bit and you don't know where he is. And all of a sudden you're alone, surrounded by strangers who are just dancing and drinking. And every now and then, Azin will show up and just in time, as soon as you finish your drink, he fills your cup again. Um, and sometimes he'll show up with a small pill or a powder and he will pop one pill or, you know, snort one powder and always offer you uh, the option to do the same. Do you partake? I do partake. And you guys get fucked up, just absolutely wrecked. You're drunk, you're high, you're rolling on all kinds of various drugs and when it finally starts winding down and you're kind of at your limit of like what your body and mind can take uh, as an usher you outside and you get some fresh air and it's kind of the reprieve you need. And he says, Merrick, it's been a long night. Let's, if you don't have somewhere to stay, I would appreciate a chance to host you. I think, I would love that. <laughs> and he guides you to a small uh, vehicle, a two-seater, and he gets you inside and he drives. And you guys drive in relative silence. And he brings you out to the edge of this small frontier town to a rather adorable farmhouse. It's a it's a two-story uh, white picket fence, white painted uh, roof and walls. And he lets you in. And it is, uh, it's beautiful inside. It's homey. It's cozy. I don't think you've ever really seen a place like this before. There's pictures on the walls and there's these homemade rugs and quilts on the, on the couches. And he... Uh, guides you into the living room and he says please have a seat i'll get you some water uh i would love that this place is very cute uh roll me a perception check please what are my negatives to this uh no negatives okay all right (laughs) he's on the good drugs these are the good ones uh that would be a 16 Perfect. Um, You look around as you're left alone and you realize that there's pictures all over the wall and none of them have a picture of Azen. Is this Azen? Is this is this your parents house? And as you ask that, you look around, you see it. It seems to belong to a younger couple. 
Um, mm. There's a man with a, uh, a a thick, dark black beard and a young, uh, a younger than him, uh, redhead woman who are posing. And there's like marriage photos and there's a photo of him on like, it looks like some sort of um, administration. It seems like he's part of the cube or something. Um, he's in like the regalia of, of someone who works on the administration. And as in returns with a glass of water and hands it to you. Is this your brother's house? I'm excited for you to meet the owners. They're, I think, someone you would get along with. If they're as nice as you, anything is okie-dokie. And as you say that, you hear the key in the front door and uh, the couple laughing uh, of a man and a woman. And they, the door opens and the laughing continues and... Suddenly it stops when they see that the light in the living room is on and you hear whispering. And Azin puts one finger to his, his mouth and he, he beckons you in to the, the doorway of the living room. And he looks at you and he says, would you like to meet the owners, Merrick? Mm, sure. And one, the man says, hey, is somebody here? Who's in here? I'll have you know that I... And as soon as he says that, Azen turns around, draws his pistol, and shoots him in the throat. And shoots the woman uh, point blank in the chest, and they both crumple to the ground. Uh, oh. Are, What's wrong, Merrick? Merrick tries to find all the training his mother and eldest brother has put into him up until this point, trying to center himself in the galaxy finds some kind of middle ground through all his inhibitions and simply asks, why? It's your tempering, Merrick. You're meant to indulge in things that you normally wouldn't do. Would you ever kill two strangers in cold blood? I can't say I would, Asin. I can't say I would. Consider your horizons broadened, then, Merrick. You should be thanking me, should you not? Is this not the point of the tempering? And the man is is still sort of gurgling and gasping for air as he clutches his throat and is crawling towards uh, his wife. And he's he's reaching out for her, but she's uh, remained still. And he looks at you and he says, in the trunk of the car that brought us here, there are two canisters. I would like you to go fetch them for me, Merrick. Merrick leaves the house. He throws up outside. Okay. Uh, do you go get the canisters? I go get the canisters. And you return uh, back in the house and you're carrying these two red uh, metal canisters. And as in holds out his hand for one. I hand him the canister. And he says, now we erase what we've done. We change the landscape, so to speak. And he begins pouring gasoline all over the house. He splashes it on the walls. He splashes it on the, the handmade rugs and, and quilts that are on the furniture. And he throws it up onto the walls with the pictures and on the floor. And he walks through the house and he looks at you and says, please, Merrick, I would appreciate a hand. Um, before Merrick starts to pour gasoline everywhere, he goes over to the two bodies, uh, moves them as close together as he can, whispers a prayer in his native language, closes their eyes and covers the house in gasoline. And when you guys finish, Azin is standing at the doorway to the house and he says, it's time, Merrick. Let's go. All right, Azin, let's go.
And as you leave, he pulls out a small box of matches and strikes one and hands it to you. Broadening horizons as he throws the match into the gasoline. And the house ignites. The flames begin consuming the, the, the wood and the furniture and pretty much ignites the entire house in an instant. And as you stand off by the car watching this, you can't help but remember the heat of the midday sun when you first arrived here and how it fails to compare to the warmth of the fire before you. And Azin looks at you and he says, This is freedom, Merrick. Cody, Mm -hmm. you're in blackness and a message pops up and says, severe trauma detected, initializing reboot sequence, reboot sequence failed, retrying, 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 reboot sequence failed, initializing backup procedure, backup one failed, backup two failed, backup three failed, backup four, partial recovery, backing up. Running initializing sequence. There's a flicker and you're sitting in a room and you're watching a movie and this monster truck is driving through a used car lot. <laughs> and beside you, you hear a small child laughing. What do you do? I laugh too. And the voice says, Cody, 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 do you see this? I say, yeah, he's driving right through there. Do you look at the kid? I do, of course. The second you turn your head to look at the voice, everything goes to shit. Artifacting, there's a digital screech and a static overwhelms you. And suddenly that message pops up again and says, sequence desynced, reinitializing sequence. And you're back and that monster truck is now driving through the used car lot again. And the voice laughs again. I laugh. Cody, Cody, did you see that? Of course. He's driving right through it. Do you look down at him again? Am I aware? Like, am I remembering or am I like? It's up to you. Um, yeah, I guess I look. <laughs> and the same thing happens. It begins tearing apart. And before you can see who this voice belongs to, everything just goes to shit. And the message pops up and again, and it says sequence desynced, attempting to recover at a later point. And you hear a buzzing and a humming and the you are now walking out of a room and you're closing the door behind you and you look fondly at it as a wooden A hangs on the door right above a sign that says, do not enter. Beware danger. Cody feels a lot seeing that door. Pride, sadness, fear. And you are now in the hallways of this opulent mansion the floors are marble the walls are have this beautiful french molding along the top there's 
paintings and tapestries and vases and you know these these beautiful carved furniture uh there's sofas here and there there's this amazingly large mirror at the very end of the hallway um and these like beautiful carved doors uh and you are clearly in in someone very wealthy's house what would you like to do is it nighttime it is nighttime yes um i guess i'm gonna head to to the gardens um as you make your way through the house there is a small table filled with pitcher frames and pitchers Mm -hmm. i look as you look at them the some of the pitchers look like they've been like censored almost and they they shake with static and there's that feeling of almost like you're standing on the on the edge of a hundred story building and the you know that saliva feeling you get right before you throw up mm-hmm. that begins sort of like building in the back of your mouth and you you kind of lose your footing for a second and you feel yourself falling and then all of a sudden you feel a hand grab you by the collar and catch you and you're kind of like diagonal as someone pulls you up and it is a large vesk wearing a blue overall jumpsuit and he's got this old ass fucking like cassette player with those shitty foam headphones on <laughs> and he looks at you and he's like oh brah you, you almost took a dip there you all right i don't know i feel weird my head's not working well I mean, I, I'm no mechanic or anything. I just, I'll just clean and, and sweep and stuff. But, uh, maybe, maybe have a sit down or something. I could grab you a glass of water if you'd like. There's no need. I'm, I'm going to stand. All right, then. And he pulls you up right and, and gets you uh, vertical and on your feet again. How's the night? I mean, all right, I guess. Same thing as usual. Cleaning up dirt, cleaning up spills, cleaning up messes, and then going back and, and finding that people have just messed up the things that I've just cleaned and then I do it again. You're, uh, you're the, the, you know, bleep, bloop, bleep, bloop that, uh, made, right? I like look at them. What'd you say? You know, you're like the, the beep, boop, boop, you know, that, that master made. I like grab him by the collar. What? Say it again. Uh, bleep, bloop, bleep, bloop. Is that, what? No, what do you want me- no, the, ah. I push him away. The the name the oh what's it what's his name? It's and he just stares at you and he has no idea what what you're upset about. Cody like sits down on the floor. Bro, I mean you spend literally like every waking hour with the little dude. Cody starts to cry. I know. I remember that, but I don't remember that. But I know that. Uh. Uh, uh, I could I could get you that water, dude. Do, do you want the water? I could I could do the water. Yeah, I'll take a water. All right, all right. Uh, do you want to stay here? Do you want to come with? What's What's the plan, uh, dude? I, wa- I'm walking back towards the pictures. The second you see uh the ones that like are blurred out for you, you begin to get like that that vertigo feeling again, and you are gonna have to give me an athletics check, please. Oh God! Oh, I'm back on my back on my rolling, boys. That's a three on the dice. Uh, is ath- ath- yeah, athletics or acrobatics? Uh, athletics. Now, am I wearing my armor? Uh, no, you're not. <laughs> then that's an eleven. Oh, okay, you managed to 
steady yourself against the wall, but you are again feeling like your whole center of balance is fucked. And uh, the Vesk runs over to you and he's like, Hey, uh, I mean, I don't really know what's happening with you right now. What's your name, man? What's your name? Cody. Yours? Cody. Nice to meet you. I'm Trunt. It's it's super cool to meet you. Um, I I don't really know. I mean, you're usually just kind of like walking around and stuff. I know this is our first time talking, but I feel like you've got some real things going on. And I don't think I'm really qualified to help you, bruh. So... Uh, maybe I should go get someone. Is there someone I could get you? Get 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 him. Get get him. The name. Bring bring him here. Wake wake him up. Well, um, bruh, I like that's a one way ticket to Firesville, bruh. You know we're not allowed. I mean, you're the only one allowed to talk to the little dude. If you know who saw me talking to to him, I'm out of here. Especially waking him up. That no way, man. No way. I I want to help you out, bro. But but this. Can't do it. Sorry, bro. Sorry. That's that's okay. Uh, Cody just kind of sits down on the floor again. He doesn't know what to do. Look, bro. I I mean I, I'm sorry, and I I'm not equipped to do this. If look, if you were dirty, I'd be able to fix you up in an instant. I can clean like a like nobody's business. But, bro, I don't know what's happening. So why don't you follow me, and I'll like uh bring you to someone who might be able to help you. Some people never talk about their feelings. They got them deeper than anybody. Other people never talk about their feelings because they ain't got any. Like Cody just kind of like twitches. Is that a yes, bro? That that's a yes. All and right, he gets cool. Gets up and follows him. I guess. Um, he brings you to the kitchen, and inside you can hear a a female voice humming and like singing to themselves and. You hear Trunt is, you know, still got his headphones on and he takes them off for a second. He's like, go in there and talk and talk to Izzy and uh, she'll probably be able to help you out, bro. But I, I can't. So uh, good luck. And he, he looks at you. He's like, I got to get back to work or again, one way ticket to Firesville. And I, I can't afford to lose this job right now. And he uh, he jogs off. Trunt, right? Good. Thank, thank you. Sorry. Trunt out. And he <laughs> rounds the corner as he gives you a peace sign. Uh, I guess I make my way into the kitchen. Yeah, it's just like cracked open just a little bit. And uh, as you open it up, you see a halfling woman. What song is she humming? Anything I recognize? No, it doesn't sound like anything. It sounds like it's just sort of like a tune that she's... She's got in her head right now. It doesn't seem like it's an actual song. And uh, she's got her back to you and she's like mixing something in a bowl furiously. Uh, Cody knocks. Uh, she doesn't seem to respond to that. Cody knocks hesitantly once more. Um, nope, no response. Cody knocks a third time. <laughs> uh, nothing. Cody is very desperate. So he gives up on politeness and walks in. She sees like a reflection in the stainless steel appliances. And this kitchen is fucking huge. There's two islands that seem to be for prep. And then there's this massive wraparound stainless steel appliance. There's like a griddle, a grill, a stovetop. Um, there's like a deep fryer. It has everything. There's this massive industrial fridge that's there. And uh, the woman, the halfling, sees your your sort of like reflection in one of the, the appliances. And she whips around 
and drops the bowl that she's holding and it shatters on the ground. Oh, I was going to try to catch it. Uh, No, it's too far away because you're just kind of like, actually, you know what? Yeah, yeah. Give me an acrobatics. Sure. Uh, That is a 17. Yes. Okay. You dive for this bowl in the most unnecessary dramatic fashion, but you manage to catch it. It's probably also not reassuring whatsoever that (laughs) something scares you and then leaps at you at superhuman speed. Yeah, lunges at you. Um, And she almost falls off the little stool that she's standing on and she is breathing heavily. She's like, oh, God, dear. Oh, my God. You scared scared the bejesus out of me. And she reaches behind her ear and flicks a switch of a little device that's sitting on on her ear. And she says, I am. Oh, are you okay? Thank you, by the way, for saving that. That took a very long time. And I feel like, you know, Master would be really upset if you didn't get pancakes in the morning. I'm sorry. I, I seem to be ruining a lot of people's nights tonight. Can you say that name again? Uh. Master, I can't hear when you say that, and I don't remember what it is. And when I look at the pictures, I can't see him. And when I try to think of him, I can't see him. I I don't, I don't know who he is anymore, and I need to know who he is. And she cocks her head to that. Okay. Okay. Uh, Trent said you could help. Can you? Yeah. Can you wake him up can you get him can you bring him here uh well you you know the rules we're not allowed to interact with the family that's i mean you're you're the only one who does and it it's kind of a a thing and if 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 i were to be caught in his room at night waking him up i don't know what would happen and i i can't afford to lose this job i'm very sorry my name is isabella by the way here please get up and she extends a hand to help you up cody Galton Storm McLean. What a lovely name, Cody. That is that is a lovely name. It is look, we've seen you around. He chose it. I'm I mean it makes sense. He he made you. You're his you're his like best friend. Cody kinda cries again a little bit. Oh Cody, 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 come here, come here, come here, come here. And she sits you down at the like prep station that has a little seat and she walks over to the fridge and she pulls out a covered platter that has uh croissants and other baked goods. And she, she picks up a cinnamon bun for you and she pours you a glass of milk and she puts it down in front of you. And she says, no one's going to miss a cinnamon bun. Please enjoy. Eat something, get a little sugar in your body. You seem very overwhelmed. Take a deep breath, have some milk, have some food, get some sugar. It'll fix everything right up. Now let's, Let's solve this mystery of not being able to hear name. Cody, like very specifically, sits down, takes a deep breath, has some milk, has some of the croissant or the cinnamon bun or whatever it is, and then looks around and says, now just the sugar. I'm, uh... You said step four, get some sugar into me. Will this help? You know what, Cody, darling, dear? It couldn't hurt. And she pushes the bag of just pure sugar over to you. And she begins uh, stirring the pancake mix that she was working on again. Cody just like scoops a little handful in. He doesn't enjoy it. Now, I will I will say I don't know how how your type works, um, but I would I would limit that. Let's let's say one 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 scoop 
for you know to make the medicine go down and she smiles and she she pulls it back yes ma'am i hand it away she makes a symbol with her hand and she says do you know what this is do i no you don't know what she's doing right now it it's a hand yes but you see i'm hard of hearing and she turns around and she shows you the hearing aid that she turned on when you when she first saw you come in for people who have trouble hearing we have a another language that doesn't rely on voices or noise and it's called sign language and she holds it up again and she says this means a uh cody does it a very good and she makes another one she says this is l cody follows suit l p cody does the same p h h and you know this one that's a that's right do you know what that spells? Alpha. And when you say that, it feels like you get whiplash. Like you were pulled back in that seat in like a slingshot and then launched forward, but you don't move. But you feel this like slam forward. And she says, yes, that's right. Alpha. And you hear it this time when she says it. Do I know what that means? Yes, you you know that's his name. Okay, I'm able to connect it. I look at her, I'm like, Alpha. It's Alpha. That yes, that's right. Alpha. Fuck. Oh. How did you? How'd you fix me? Well, you said that you couldn't hear it and you couldn't see it, but sometimes there's always a solution, dear. Like you just have to be a little creative. And I don't know why you couldn't hear it. I don't know why you couldn't see it, but we didn't stop you from spelling it. I like go through the motions with my hand again. Look at that, bright as rain. How do I say sorry? Uh, and she makes the gesture for sorry. I make it back and I say, that's for scaring you. I I wasn't I wasn't thinking about anybody but, but myself. I I knocked, but you know. She smiles and she says, You wouldn't know? Why would you know? There's no way of knowing. Well, I'm still sorry. I need to go and I need to see if if I'm fixed. Okay. Yeah, sure. Um, but do me a favor. Do me one small kindness. Anything. Finish the cinnamon bun. I, like, destroy it. Like, just... Like, half a second. Gone. Um, and she says, thank you. And she makes the gesture with you. And she shows you how to say thank you in sign language as well. Alright, I, I make it back. And then I'm, I'm running back towards the room. And as soon as you burst into the door, and you can, like... Now that you're there, you see the door and you see that there's like some pretty solid dents on it and that the the wood on the hinges seem to be in pretty rough shape as well. And you burst into the door and it is just this expanse of nothing, almost like a like there's like a, a white and gray grid. I scream alpha and it goes black again and it says reinitializing, booting up, recovery complete. Durin. Oh man, I feel like the uh, I feel like the the kid who has to give their assignment last now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what's what's going on? Um, let's talk a little bit about the grandmother rat war. Yeah, let's talk about it. The grandmother rat, or more formally known 
Lao Shu Po, is the Yosoki goddess. While many Yosoki still revere her, the majority of them do not follow her teachings because they are ones of depravity. She believes in death and trickery and taking what you can by any means necessary and hoarding it for yourself and never sharing it, which is pretty antithesis to the modern Yosoki ideals. They're hardworking. They're jovial. They might talk a lot, but they're not that. But there is a small group of Yosoki who worship the Grandmother Rat in such a way that they follow her edicts to a fault. And those groups of people are divided into four factions. There is the Fang, the Claw, the Tail, and the Fur. And what fa- what faction do you belong to? Dern belongs to the Fur. And you were a incredible warrior, and more specifically, assassin for the fur faction and you fought for them for years and you've killed for them and nearly died for them for years and you are now back there before you even considered desertion before you considered abandoning the fight you're once again a soldier for the grandmother rat and would do almost anything to appease her and more specifically do anything to win for the faction of the fur. Of course. You're on a mission, and it is one of extreme importance. During an assault on the tail strong keep of Burrow Keep, the Claw faction had killed the king of the tail, called King Viral. He was murdered by the Claw faction, and they were attempting to kill the prince as well, who sacrificed his own wife to escape. You're on a mission now to stealthily assassinate the prince to finish the tail royal bloodline in the effort to make it look like the claw finished the job, to make them fight each other and focus their their resources on each other so that the fur gets a, a moment to resupply, breathe, and maybe sweep in and finish the weaker of the two off. You've tracked Prince Yashmu to a remote settlement in a canyon, and it is pitch black it is the middle of the night and there is a torrential downpour of rain and you feel like you're 20 pounds heavier between your your wet fur and your wet gear you are absolutely soaked and you stand on a a rocky outcrop above two of the tail sentries and you look across the way and you see your partner dirk who draws his tack knife nods and points to the guards below. What do you do? Durin uh, gives the nod back. Hopefully you'll see it. Begins to set up shop. Would this be a case where we would sneak in close, or would I take him from afar? I guess we would sneak in close, yeah, because we wouldn't want the gunshot to give away what we're doing. So I would stealth up, slowly make my way to the other guard, knife in hand, whispering a prayer to the grandmother rat as I did so, either in my head or if I'm too close, or vocally if I'm far enough away. All right, give me a stealth check, please. My level two stealth check? Yep. Okay, we got a 17. Uh, Perfect. Yeah, you managed to make it so that you and Dirk are both on either side above these guards. And when you give the signal that you're in position, Mm -hmm. uh, you both jump down on them with your knives and give me an attack roll. Absolutely. Um, 12. Uh, it's low, but it's enough because these people aren't real guards. They seem mm-hmm. to be just regular people standing guard. They're not armored. They have uh, 
pretty low quality weapons and you manage to bury your knife deep in one of their necks and Dirk does the same as you guys pull it out and tear the throat across and they both drop down and Dirk begins pulling his off to the side. Yeah, I do the same. It's almost like uh, synchronized in a way where we both jump down, slice, and pull it off to the side in our own various directions. We've done this dozens of times. Absolutely. It, it's simpatico. You guys are pretty much of singular mind, especially on things like this. Like you said, you've done it thousands of times. Mm-hmm. And Dirk holds out his hand and, and feels the like just downpour of rain. He's like, fucking rain, mate. This is going to make it real fucking difficult. Oh, it just means our tracks get covered. Less work for us. Also means we're going to have to get close, mate. Not even you can make a shot like this in this kind of rain. Uh, that's never stopped you before, has it? All right, you cocky bastard. Let's go. And we get we go to move close. Uh, give me a stealth check. There we go. Those are the rolls I've been looking for. Um, a 28. Yeah, you manage uh, between the two of you and the cover of night and the and the rain. You guys managed to get fairly close to a, a secondary ridge. You were pretty much on position for where you would have wanted to take this shot, but because of the rain, you had to get way closer. And you've made your way through the canyon, and in the distance, through the rain and the and the haze, you can see a small settlement, a couple lights on in the distance, flickering, and. On the far east side, there is a landing pad. Um, But before that, there is a small covered section uh, where there's a fire and three more sentries are standing there. What would you like to do? Dirk looks at you and he says, what do you think, mate? Do we sneak past? Do we take him quick? Or do we try to squeeze him for intel? No, no, we just move past him right now. They do not know yet, but they owe their lives to her. For she may take them at any time. All right, mate. Fucking creepy bastard. And uh, you're going to have to give me another stealth check, please. All as right. you attempt to bypass these oh three. God. Oh, oh my God. 30. Uh, yeah. You pretty much <laughs> like walk past them. And because of the rain, because of the, the noise of the thunder every now and then, you you and Dirk just stroll right past them. And they are completely oblivious. And you get to this ridge and you finally get a a decent look at the settlement. It is this really, really rudimentary setup of these prefab sandstone homes. Uh, Some of them are domed. Some of them are more uh, like rectangular in in nature, but they're they're very basic. And you can see small lights flickering inside some of them. And Dirk points out the, the landing pad and he says, remember, Mike. We're looking for one with a tail. All the other ones have snipped ones. The royal ones, they got the waggers. Got you. We should probably set up a few explosives on the landing pad so they can't get out. You want to get that close, mate? I want to make sure this gets done right. I mean, if we get caught, the whole mission goes goes sideways. You remember that, mate? Um, so what is, what is he suggesting here? Um... So you guys were originally supposed to take him out at a distance. You were going to be a sniper. He is your spotter. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, the plan was to identify the target, take them out from afar, and retreat so that no one ever knows you're there. If you have a differing opinion, he that he's trying to stick to the plan. But if you want to go down and try to detonate the, the platform, that's fine. No, no, that's more so a backup. Dern takes a moment and he gives it a good, solid think. 
Um, and he's going to think back, like, what what do the claws, like, how, how are we going to make this as recognizable as the claws doing this? It's more for the fact that they attacked. Mm-hmm. They made a strong move against the, the tail clan already. And it would it, it would make no sense that the fur faction would be attempting to assist in this mission. Mm-hmm. So just the fact that it gets done would be enough to implicate the claws. Okay, okay. And I, I think about it, I'm like, we better not miss. Let's go. You guys get up on the ridge, and uh, Dirk pulls out his, like, spotting infrared device, and he puts it up to his eyes, and he begins looking through. While still looking through, he turned, he, or he says to you, Mate, do you think this even matters? And I, I give him, like, a very cold look. He's like, of course it does. Now, that's not quite what I mean. What I mean is, we do this. Do you really think it's going to matter? Do you think it's going to end anything? Personally, I don't think it does matter. But it needs to happen. All right, mate. I agree. But you're still faithful. Yes? Oh, to the bloody bone. I just... I just don't understand why we're wasting our precious time doing small things like this. We could make moves. We could... We could go after a whole faction if we were smart. And we know, like these, these are this is the type of orders that definitely like came from high up, right? Oh what yeah, like doing? you guys okay. are the the pinnacle of the the fur faction, like assassins, pretty much. Like <laughs> if, if you guys were sent on this mission, it's because it, it it's meant to be very important. Um, and this is the first time Dirk has ever sort of like talked to you about this. Yeah, I'm getting that sense. I'm getting that sense. Dirk, we we have to have faith in this. There's only three kinds of people: the the unaware. The faithful and the betrayed. Which one do you stand on? You know where it is, Dern. I'm faithful. Then don't ask questions like that ever again. All right, mate. All right. And he perks up for a second. He says, "We've got movement." And I start. I look through the scope and I like see uh, where he points his his like little thing and he clicks a button and on your scope you get a little arrow guiding you to what he's just tagged. Mm-hmm. Um, so as you follow the arrow, you come across a group of four Yasokis, and they're all wearing these like these green rain ponchos with hoods. Mm-hmm. There's a taller, slender one. There's an average sized one. There's a a sizable one. One like a, a fairly large one that you're not used to seeing. He's he's broad and he's large. And then there is a much smaller one. And they're all working or walking towards the landing pad as you hear the rumble of an engine approaching from over the canyon. Oh, bloody hell. Looks like they're moving them. Shit. Okay. Which one's the target? And a small transport lands in on the landing zone and the, the back hatch opens up and two soldiers come out and they're standing on the edge of the pad and the four reach this sort of, you know, a, a couple probably about like a hundred feet a stretch between where the settlement is and the landing pad. And they reach this open space and the average size Yusoki gives the tall one a hug and gives a a nod to the big one and then kneels down. And when he does a long tail comes out the bottom of his cloak and Dirk says, got him. And there's a ping. And all of a sudden, a red outline goes along 
the average size one as he gives the smaller Yosoki uh, a, a firm, tight hug. And Dirk says, mm. well, mate, I think this is the end of the old bloodline. Say goodbye to the claws. Taking the shot. As he begins walking towards the uh, landing pad, you're going to have a plus five to this attack roll. Okay. 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 As you are being fed information, both in like a, a, a implant and on your scope from Dirk's uh, mechanic bonuses. Very nice. Okay. Um, come on. <laughs> Hope you're ready for this to be a fail because <laughs> <laughs> I'm very curious how the story will go if that happens. Oh, um, yeah. Okay. 16 on the die. Um, so that's a 25 with your plus with the plus five. With with all the like wind speed and the 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 headings and the the targeting, and just your sheer proficiency at this specific skill, Dirk holds his hand up and he says, "Wait for the thunder! Wait for the thunder!" And a peal of lightning cracks across the sky, illuminating the settlement for a second, and you kind of see what everything looks like, and then the thunder rumbles. And you squeeze the trigger and there's a brief moment where you think you might have missed as the average size Yusoki uh, takes a a couple steps sideways and continues walking. Mm -hmm. And then the knees kind of buckle and the legs begin crossing over one another as he takes a couple more steps. And then he hits the ground onto his knees and then falls forward. And you see both the the group that were saying goodbye to him react and the two soldiers begin running towards him. And the smallest Yusoki uh, that said goodbye uh, begins running as well. And the big one grabs him by the collar, but he manages to like shift out of his cloak and runs full speed to the prince's body. Nice shot, mate. Bloody brilliant. Duran nods and he's like, careful. Gotta move away slowly. Can't give away our position. Right, right. Confirming kill. And he looks through the the monoculars again. What are you doing? Um, I'm keeping an eye out through the scope to watch the to watch it all play out and just kind of seeing where they're looking, making sure they're not looking this way. Because I know if we have to do a second shot, our position's just blown. Uh, no. It it seems like the the red outline around him turns gray, and a little like on screen thing says deceased. I nod. I say, it's done. Let's go. Kill confirmed. As you get up and begin packing up your rifle, Dirk puts a hand on the muzzle of your gun and points it back down into the settlement. And he looks at you and he says, job ain't done, mate. What do you mean? Our mission was to kill the bloodline, yeah? Yeah, and it's done. He taps your scope. And I look through it. And you notice that the small Yosoki, mm-hmm. a child, has a tail. Then it's not done. A red outline goes around the son of Prince Yashmu. Give me the shot. As I start to line up once again, not even questioning it. It's automatic. The job's not done. So he lines up again. And the target gets confirmed and you get the bonuses and you get the all the heads up display and everything. Oh and another peal of thunder rolls through and a shot rings out in the canyon. And... Not even the sound of the torrential downpour can drown out the screams below.
Hello, it's your Space GM, Dane, here. Uh, just giving you a quick little break in between all of the action here to do some housekeeping stuff. Also, I know uh, the last little bit, probably a little heavy. I know it was, it was heavy for the players, so uh, giving you a little bit of a breather there. Um, a couple things to talk about. First and foremost, I hope you're enjoying the episode. Uh, second, I hope you're enjoying... Uh, the second episode of No Rest for No Quest, the month-long event we're doing uh, to thank everyone for such an incredible reaction to our launch. Um, all February long, we'll be releasing an episode every week instead of every other week, and we'll be returning to our regular every other week schedule come March. But for February, you're getting four super spicy episodes if you want to reach out and uh, let us know what you think share fan art if you're inspired to create it fa share fan theories with other people who are listening a great place to do that is the discord which is popping off and we are having a pretty cool community build from there um, you get to chat with us you get to chat with other people who are listening you get to uh, talk about the episodes you get to talk about what you think is happening or what's about to happen um, it's a lot of fun and the people there are really cool and that's not just because you know we're there but also because you know the people are actually really fucking neat if you would like to join or reach out to us in any means uh, pop on over to noquestcast.com there's a link to our discord there's a link to all of our social medias if you want to reach out to us it's at noquestcast both on twitter and instagram we'd love to hear from you we'd love to chat with you we'd love to hear what you think we'd love to hear what you uh are guessing is going to happen we want to hear who your favorite characters are. We want to see fan art from you. We're really, really excited to engage with you guys as much as we can um, because we're having a blast doing this and a lot of people are, are having a blast listening. And uh, I can't think of a better way to experience that than, than sharing it with one another. It's a quick break. I am done. So let's get back to the episode. Um, remind Merrick, you rolled a nat 20 at the beginning, I right? I did. You're the first one to wake up. You are lying on your back. And the first thing you see is the tree canopy of the forest of Goa. And the second thing you see is the Maverick suspended above you, cockpit and bridge, nose facing directly at you almost like it's staring at you from above and the third thing you notice is cody dangling from the pilot seat out the front window how high up how, how like how much of a climb uh it's about 30 feet up okay i'm gonna try to climb up um so the way the maverick is currently suspended is it's tangled in these vines and that seems to be the only reason why it didn't fully reach the ground and impact um it's almost like cradled in these thick green vines. So in order to get up it, you would have to scale a nearby tree and get onto the Maverick, but you're not sure if, you know, how sturdy these vines are going to be. Okay, I'm going to start climbing up the tree and then I'll make a decision once I get up a little bit. Okay, uh, give me an athletics check, please. Uh, that will be a 19. Uh, yeah, that's enough. You get up into the the like nook or the the 
the crease of, of where the branches begin to split from the trunk of this tree. And you realize that you would be able to jump into one of the holes in the hull, uh, but it would be, it'd be another athletics check in order to do so. Cody, Cody, wake up, Cody. There's no answer. All right. I'll try to jump. Uh, yeah. Give me an athletics check again, please. 16. You make it just barely. You jump over and your back foot sort of slips off the, the cracked edge as a chunk of metal just falls to the ground and you're holding on to a just a stray piece of piping that is now you know torn out of the side of the ship from one of the the blasts of the the stalwart blades during the fight and escape um but you manage to pull yourself in and the ship is a fucking disaster pretty much everything is destroyed um the tavern and the reactor are the two rooms that suffered the least the reactor is probably the the sturdiest part, so it it didn't suffer too much damage. But the the tavern is still more or less intact because it's the center of the ship. But everything is fucked. All the bottles of alcohol have been smashed. No, uh, damn it! The, the bar is practically ripped out of the center of it. The stage in which Query used to perform on is gone, and you can see through uh, the cockpit um, as it's like pointed down. But you're currently on a slope. Like in order to go down, you'll have to like slide your way down. And I'm going to need you to roll a D20. One to 10, something bad happens. 11 to 20, something good happens. 17, I'm on a streak. All right. Oh, yeah. Um, you feel the ship lurch forward for a second, and then you hear the snapping of some of the vines, but it's the back half. So the ship then levels out, but it does like drop a couple of feet, but you're now on even footing. What would you like to do? I didn't see Durin on the ground either, correct? You did not see Durin on the ground, no. You, you've you seen Cody, you have no idea where Durin is. Cool, I'm just going to like safely make my way to the cockpit. Uh, yeah, so you gingerly take your time moving in order to not disrupt the, the vines anymore. And you get there and you realize, like, again, whatever Durin did to get you into the drift fucking fried the systems. Pretty much everything is blown out, either exploded or shattered or just covered in scorch marks. He did his job, but he did it poorly. <laughs> and uh, now that the ship has leveled out, you see that the... There's almost like a, an ejector seat sort of situation, but it's still tethered to the front uh, or to, into the into the cockpit of the the bridge, and that tether is what's suspending Cody out of the the, the cockpit. Okay, <laughs> I could just imagine that there's this dangling cockpit. Oh my gosh! No Durin yet. No Durin yet. Well, actually, yes. Durin and Cody, you rolled the same thing. So you pretty much come to at the same time. Uh, Durin, you're also tangled up in these vines. And you are also suspended um, just slightly beside the Maverick. And when you come to, you're sort of facing straight down. So it kind of feels like you're floating until you get your bearings. And you see Cody once again dangling from the front of the ship. And you see Merrick in the cockpit looking down. And Cody, you are, <laughs> you're still strapped to the pilot chair and it's kind of like a, a you know, a, a circus ride or a theme park ride. And you're just kind of like staring straight down into the ground and slightly swaying. Hell yeah. Get those franchise opportunities in here. <laughs> Next at Canada's <laughs> Wonderland, the Cody chair. <laughs> um, 
I have my eyes closed and I'm just running through the five letters with my hands, which I can still remember, right? Yes, you now know sign language. Hell yeah. Nice. So I'm just doing those five over and over again. I haven't even opened my eyes yet. I don't even care where I am right now. I'm just trying to make sure I remember it and don't forget it. D- does Duran see uh, Merrick or Cody? Uh, d- you see, I can, you can see, see both of them, yeah. Okay. Are we alive? Barely. I think I might have died and gone to maybe not heaven, but somewhere good-ish. Well, we could still die today. I open my eyes. I'm upside down. I'm staring at the ground. I'm behind you, and we're, no one make any sudden movements, all right? So the vines are holding the ship in place. How's she looking? I will let you know when you get down. That sounds good. It's At not- least there's some good news. <laughs> yeah, Dern, you can see what an absolute <laughs> fucking nightmare the ship is in. It's, it's not good news. Oh, how high up am I? Uh, you were about 30 feet, but with the ship leveling out now, you're probably like... Probably about like 25, 20 feet now because you did drop a little bit. Okay. I could try to unstrap and climb my way up or just drop to the ground. I'm going to enter the uh, photon mode real quick. Okay. Um, This gives me a reflex bonus. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Okay. So I'm looking at the spell my new ability is based on, Dane, and there doesn't seem to be a weight restriction. Okay. (laughs) I can't ominous. find it anywhere. That's ominous as fuck. What's it, it called? Uh, it's the ability is based on the spell called psychokinetic hand. Now I'm gonna say I'm gonna rule it as since it's a cantrip, the same thing as mage hand, because you are correct. There doesn't seem to be. Oh, here you go. One unattended object, no more than ten pounds or one bulk. Okay, so now because I have gravity hold and I'm now attuned, I can use it to move medium creatures. Okay, they can. Try to save against it, but if Cody here doesn't want to, I can move him. I definitely want to. (laughs) I don't. I don't. Yeah, I can move him about 15 feet close to the ground, so his drop is only 10 feet. So the way the tether works is it's at its extension. Like, you can't lower him, but you'd be able to bring him up if you wanted to. Okay. And I will channeling the gravity around me. This dark hue energy covers Merrick as he reaches two of his hands out, focuses on Cody, and brings him up. Cody is holding on to the straps. <laughs> okay, and you said 15 feet? Yes. All right. So as you hold your hands out and cover Cody in this similar dark blue energy, um, you feel yourself being pulled up, Cody, and you're now mm-hmm. five feet from the cockpit. Okay. Um, can I unclip and like jump across? Yes, it will be a athletics check in order to keep yourself from just falling out of the seat. All right. <laughs> that's a 19. All right. That's yeah, that's enough. So you get one hand on like the, the corner of the seat or the, the back of the seat and you unclip and now you're just dangling from the seat and you manage to pull yourself up and onto the back of the seat and roll me a d20 oh god one to ten something bad 11 Mm, that's a good thing right just make it the seat begins to shake as one of the you hear a beep behind you merrick as one of the systems 
somehow activates, and you hear retrieving pilot seat, and the tether begins retracting and bringing you up, Cody. Okay. <laughs> cool. Uh, I uh, guess can I can I start making my way over to them? Yes. So you, if you mm. want to make your way to the Maverick, uh, mm-hmm. you'll have to give me some athletics checks to mm. sort of like free yourself and then swing vine to vine over to it, mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. you can try to swing to a nearby tree and then climb down from there, or just uh... drop whatever you want to do. <laughs> you know, is there any way it can be an acrobatics? How how can we word this in an acrobatics kind of way? You know what? I will say if you want to swing over to the tree, it yeah. will be an acrobatics because it's just a one. It's much closer. You're doing a, a slightly more graceful thing, uh, but it would be athletics to sort of like almost like monkey bar hand over no, hand. No, that's, that's not his speed. Uh, okay. Duran's going to, yeah, uh, try to untangle himself a little bit and maybe and make his way over to the tree. So that way, uh, maybe a meeting point or some something. Yeah. So give me an acrobatics check to try to swing over to the tree. Oh, 13. Uh, this isn't, yeah, you make it. Okay, it's not that you. bad. Um, you manage to, uh, it's not all that graceful, but you manage to sort of like swing over to the, to the crook of the tree where the branches again split out and land into it. And you're now safe on, on the tree. It's still like another probably 20 feet down, but climbing down is, is a little easier. Okay. Okay. Merrick, you and Cody are in the cockpit together now as, uh, the seat like attempts to retract, but it's now caught on like the windshield part and it's just kind of like wiggling and you feel the shake of the the Maverick. This this sort of like resistance is pulling on other internal parts and there's a groan in the ship and you can't be certain how long these vines are going to hold it. We must get out of here, Cody. We're going to do it or we're going to talk about it? action first and i guess I, I show him how i got in as we sort of carefully hustled down the hallway so you get to that hole in the hull where you jumped over from the tree so if you want to jump back over athletics checks please you can go first cody sure that's a 18 you make it over fairly easily i hold out a hand that's an 11 good thing you're holding out that hand uh cody make a reflex save please as Merrick jumps, and because that there's not 20, a motherfucker. damn, yeah. as there's not enough room on the tree, Merrick has to kind of correct himself, but misses, and you manage to just grab him by the hand, and now you've got Merrick dangling from uh, the tree, and you're holding onto a tree branch. <laughs> Can I just swing him down below me onto the tree where he climbed up? Yep, I do that. All right, uh, Merrick, give me an athletics check to make your way down. I've got you, friend. Um, that would be a 18. Perfect. Yeah, you're able to, now that you've got a, a firm footing and grasp with the help of Cody, you're able to make your way down. Um, Duran and Cody uh, both give me ac- or athletics to climb down your tree, unless you're doing something weird, Duran. No, 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 we'll just, I'll just climb down, especially because it was a good enough roll to not worry about it. 20. 22. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah, you guys are able to get down these trees uh, with authority, and you now both kind of regroup, or everyone gets to together. And Can you we look re- up- regroup not under the Maverick. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good sure. idea. That seems like a good idea. Just you stand off thought. to the side and <laughs> you survey the situation, and it is the the Maverick doesn't exist anymore. It has been pretty much stripped to its base heiress 
shuttle model. The only thing that really remains, like the whole bottom half was torn off when Cody clipped the, the top of the mountain range. The back half was ripped off when Durin entered the drift early. So there's really just the cockpit, the tavern, and the reactor. Arguably, the most important parts, but the whole top is gone, the whole bottom is gone, and it's it bar- it doesn't even resemble the ship that you used to call home. Is there any like there's no chance in repairing this thing at all if I'm if I'm getting the picture right in my head. There's no hope for that. Give me an engineering check. Okay. A 23. So the like I said the essential parts are there. You mm-hmm. have everything that the ship requires especially for tavern purposes, but it would cost a shit ton of credits to get this fixed up. You, you guys know this while this is happening. Cody is beaming. Well, this this ain't going to be the way we get off this rock. No, we don't have the time. We have to get back and save our friends as quick as possible. I don't know how we're going to get back, even if we want to. For now, I think all we can do is walk. Well, yeah, I believe I've read about this planet before. Uh, with that, Merrick, give me a culture check. Um, you and Durin can both do a culture check to see what you know about Goa. Cody, oh. unfortunately, you have you you don't have the the memory yet of <laughs> of where you've been. You're it's it's coming back to you, but not that much. Oh, don't worry. I, I'm not even trading culture either. So uh, this is all on uh, Merrick. Uh, Twenty one. Perfect. Okay, so that's enough. So you know, Goa is a planet that is essentially split in half. Uh, there's a mountain range known as the Futadi Range that covers almost the entire thing, almost directly in half, like bisecting it. And on one half is an area called the Gift, which is this super biodiverse, lush greenlands, forests, jungles, wetlands. And that is where the capital city of Jabala is there. And it sits on this uh, massive waterway that stretches most of the planet at least on the gift side of things, uh, called the Kubo Expanse. And then on the other side is this sort of cracked earth, and you saw this on your way in, of these like chasms where these massive roots are sort of snaking in and out of the ground and across these massive like just giant chasms that seem to go into nothing but blackness. And that's called the Fringe. And you know that there are like two groups of people. There are the people who live in the gift, and there are the people on the outskirts that choose to live there. They have been invited to the gift for ages and for whatever reason, refuse to go there. They willingly live in this sort of like resource devoid sort of post-apocalyptic nightmare of these like roving hordes of either bandits or nomads. That sounds terrible. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's not great. sounds real bad. Why they don't call it the gift. Yeah. So I believe we should head further to the gift side of the planet and hopefully make our way to the capital. Do you think they uh, they know we're wanted? Do I happen to know their relation with other planets then? Um, so Goa is a, a member of the Federation and the there's a good chance that news has spread. Uh, Cody beams even wider. Going to the fringe can't be the right idea. Where, where can we get a ship to get off here? We need low profile at this point. Well, maybe if we head towards the capital, we'll come upon another community or something. We'll maybe get a better understanding of the situation. I feel like the bandits are less likely to arrest us. Yes, but they're also more likely to tear you apart for spare parts. I put an arm around your shoulder and I say, he can be the biggest guy in the world. 
You smash his knee and he'll drop like a stone. Everyone give me perception checks. Oh, <laughs> back to my normal rolls. That's a three. Actually, wait. I think because we've leveled up, it's a four. Ooh, oh, shit. Oh, it's a four. Uh, I've got a 19. Uh, 14. Merrick, you hear whispering and you can't pinpoint where it is or what it's saying, but you just hear like, and it seems to like, no matter where you turn to sort of get a, a gauge of like where it's coming from or who's doing it, it always seems to be coming from like just over your shoulder. Are you okay, Merrick? I don't think we're alone. Don't do any drastic movements. Cody pulls his shotgun out. (laughs) (laughs) All right, or we do drastic movements. Hello? And there's silence. And when all this happens, the the voices seem to just disappear, Merrick. We don't mean you any harm. Don't mind my friend. We just had a little bit of of an incident. We're quite on edge. Cody puts his shotgun away. Uh, nothing. Well... I think we'll be in your forest for a while, so if you would like to introduce yourself, we'd be more than happy to show you a little bit of hospitality. We don't have much in the means of food or gifts, but I know a couple of stories. You all hear a rustling behind you. I fight very hard not to pull my shotgun out. (laughs) I give uh, Cody a smile and turn towards the rustling. There is a person standing there wearing this wooden mask that has no expression. Aye. That's probably one of the more terrifying things I've seen. It takes a step back and just starts running. Oh. Should we chase them? He's the only chance we have to maybe find a way out of here. Excuse me. We mean you no harm. We didn't think you looked that scary. We should We should get them. We need to get off this planet. Yeah. So I'm going to start following him then. I start to run. Is chasing the all right, and Durin will just run out. If they start running, <laughs> he's going to run after him <laughs> at this point. Yeah. So you guys, everyone, give me an athletics check, please. Mm-hmm. Ooh, that's a twenty-five. Nice. Twenty-one. Ooh, you ready? Rolling well tonight for now. Seven. So you, Durin, I don't think your heart's in it. You no, eat? it's really not. <laughs> uh, you're kind of giving them a wide berth because, uh, you know, you've seen things like this before um, and it never turns out well. But Cody and Merrick, you guys are giving pretty good chase. Even with the head start, Cody, you you are almost caught up to them. And out of nowhere, a root comes out of the ground and attempts to trip you as a vine drops in front of the person you're chasing. They grab it and it slingshots them across 50 feet and gives them an extra boost of speed. Uh, Give me a reflex save. A 17. Perfect. So you manage to see this and jump over the route just in time to continue giving them uh, a chase. Give me uh, three more athletics checks from y'all. Oh, cool. All right. 12. 21. Six. <laughs> <laughs> it's my Durin, worst skill. <laughs> you uh, you see this happening, the, the vine and the, the root, and I think you pull back even more seeing all this happening. You get to see the whole picture because you're at the back and something isn't striking you quite right. 
Merrick, you fall back a little bit too as you become a little more cautious about where you're stepping, seeing this whole thing. But Cody, you're just head down and fucking booking it. I like how you made my success into, he's just not paying attention. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You are, are just hauling ass. And once again, you're almost caught up to them. Yelling like, wait! We could be friends. We don't mean harm, but like also running at that insanely like inhumanly fast pace. And you end up chasing them into this round clearing in an a, like this beautiful field with these flowers all po- popping out of the meadow. And they're on the other end of the clearing and you come and they come to like a screeching halt and turn around and again, just stand there looking at you with this expressionless mask. Hi, friend. I know I ran after you, but we mean no harm. They, I sign it as I say it too, just in case. They take a step forward and they <laughs> cock their head and and they they hold out. They like seem to be mimicking what you're doing with your hands, mm-hmm. but not correctly. Like they they're just kind of like doing things. Now I got a three sense motive. Uh, it seems like they're trying to make contact with you. Cool. I stride forward and offer my hand. Uh, great. Give me a reflex save. <laughs> reflex is my worst save. <laughs> That's a six. As you step forward into the clearing, you hear a thump as a net swoops you up and pulls you up into the canopy. And you're now dangling in this net trap. And Merrick and Durin, you arrive slightly after all this happens. And you now see Cody dangling. And this this person point at Cody and then looks at you again, cocking its head with the, the mask. Help! <laughs> If you could let our friend down, I would greatly appreciate it. Once again, me and you no harm. I know it's getting a little bit repetitive. I don't even know if you speak common. I, I point to my chest. No, I shake my head back and forth. Harm, and I like do like a punching in a punch into my own fist kind of motion. <laughs> uh, let me. <laughs> that feels very threatening. Yeah, this feels why. very threatening. <laughs> Man, it's times like this, I really wish I hadn't left both my knives embedded in the wall of the tavern. (laughs) Hey, you were just there. You could have got them. I could have, but I didn't. (laughs) I'm just thinking, if someone randomly approached me, pointed at it, said, or looked at no, and just started punching their fist into their hands, I I don't know how that's not threatening. Also, after chasing them. Yeah, yeah, like, hey... Um, so they seem to understand what you say though. And they raise their, both their hands and they, they take another step forward and stand underneath Cody. Oh no. Can I try to get out? Give me a strength check. That's a six. Um, you are, are desperately trying to tear it, but whatever they've made this net out of is crazy strong. What are you and Duran doing, Merrick? Um, I, I'm definitely looking towards Merrick at this because I'm like, do you know anything who 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 they are? Anything about this? They look very human. Um, it's tough to say. They're definitely humanoid, uh, but it's okay. tough to say like what specific they are. Can I'm gonna roll life sciences? Okay, an eight. <laughs> it's it's tough to tell with the mask. It, they very well like they could be human or they could be. Uh, Lashinta, they could be uh, Android or something completely different. It's it's tough to tell. Okay, I want a perception for more traps in this area real quick. Yeah. Uh, seven. Um, it seems like Cody sprung the only trap that was in this clearing. <laughs> okay, no, I raise no. my hands, hands and I take a step towards them. Careful. 
they they keep their hands raised as well. And they they keep sort of like looking up at Cody and looking at you and then looking at Dern and looking up at Cody and looking at you. I raise my hands mm. as if I mean no harm. I want to make a quick perception to see if there's anyone else here. Sure. Because this feels like, oh, no, cool. Ten. No, no, we're good. Uh, it's just you and, and this person in the field. Sure is. I'm going to subtly go into neutron mode. Now, every time you've talked about going into certain modes, you do get enveloped in a certain light. <laughs> yeah, I mess with my own flavor. So uh, uh, It's flavor it light, Dane. It's flavor. It's, it's, this one's the, the nice light purple hue. Okay. It, is it calming? You begin sort of like subtly glowing. And I'll say that this is more of like a, a shimmer than it is like a yeah. full body encasing glow. Um, like a Twilight Vampire. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, and they they take a step back, but they they don't seem to be panicked, but they still keep their hands raised. Uh, Darren, what are you doing? I'm mostly keeping an eye, and I'm trying to think of what to say in this situation. But really, it's just like I, I Darren trusts Merrick to such a degree when it comes to dealing with people that he's going to kind of like do a wait and see, but not approach in any way. Can I borrow a knife, friends? Very soon, Cody. Soon, um, Darren. Yes. Does a 22 hit your KAC? Oh, yeah. Yeah, easily. Uh, please give me a fortitude save. <laughs> oh, Dane, this is my worst. 13. That's my worst fucking skill. Or, sorry, uh, save. Um, you blink twice. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you reach up to your neck and you pull a small blow dart needle oh. out of your neck. And you look at it for a second. And once you realize what just happened... Merrick, you hear a thunk behind you. Son of a bitch. Yeah. I'm assuming I'm out at this point. I'm going to shoot my fire shotgun at the, like, knot of the rope above Um, me. I'm going to say that you are so entangled that you would not be able to draw your weapon right now. You are, like, crumpled in this tiny net. Okay. Can I try strength out of it then, again? Uh, I will give you another strength check, yes. That is 15. No, even with this one, you feel like you've got a bit more leverage. You've got like your heels pressed into the rope this time and you're trying to like really give it. But again, the whatever this is made out of is crazy strong. Merrick, you suddenly see another figure pop out of the bushes and they're wearing that same sort of expressionless mask. And then you see another one and another one. And suddenly there's about 20 of them surrounding this clearing. I get on my knees, I put my forearms in the air behind my head. And that's when you hear the thunder of large footsteps. And from behind the one that was standing in the middle, who's now dropped their arms, a massive armored polar bear comes bounding out of the forest and (laughs) comes to a screeching halt beside the one underneath Cody. And... It roars and then gets up onto its hind legs and is then joined by another person with those masks and hands him a ornate golden spear, which he slams into the ground. And he looks at Merrick and says, you are coming with me. That seems to be very correct. 